Have you always wanted to learn to play a musical instrument but not known where to start? Let the Musician app be your personal music tutor. It's the best way to learn, practice, and master an instrument. It listens to you play and gives feedback on your accuracy and timing. Become the musician you always wanted to be. Download Musician for free in your app store today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of On Shuffle. I'm your host, Micah Peters, a staff writer at The Ringer. Anderson Pack is back with his new album, Oxnard, and I'm going to be talking to my colleague, Danny Chow, about how it's good, but not great, and how that's fine. Also, as of last week, Jay-Z's The Black Album is now 15 years old. I'm going to talk to my boss, Sean Fennessy, about maybe rap's biggest pump fake. But first, Anderson Pack. Two years ago, Anderson Pack's star rose with a Grammy nomination for his sophomore album, Malibu. Now he's back with Oxnard, the third and final entry into his Beach series, which began with Venice in 2014. My colleague Danny Chow called Pack the sound of 2016 and described Malibu as a snapshot of the in-between era state of music at the time. I ask, does Pack's new album sound as much like now as its predecessor and is it a step in the right direction? Danny, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. This is the first time anyone has asked me to verbalize my thoughts on music in like years. <laughs> So I am, I am really, really People excited. People should here. ask you about it more often. I think it was like, I, I feel like we spent like 15 minutes at work drinks one time talking about a single Fortet song. Mm -hmm. Like, so it's long overdue that you're on this podcast. But first question, when did you first learn about Anderson Peck? And like, like when was the first time you encountered him? Because he was kind of like the the big ticket in 2015 because of right. the Compton album, which came out with Dr. Dre's straight out of Compton biopic movie or whatever. And then he had six features on the album that everybody mm -hmm. loved. But he had been putting out music before that. So when did you first encounter Pac? I actually think that was around the time when I fully got kind of immersed into, oh, okay, so this is, this this is, is Anderson Pack. This happening. This, yeah, he is going to be a big star I think one of the things that really kind of captivated me was along with Chance the Rapper uh, during that time, he kind of added a little bit of levity and there, there was something like distinctive in his voice mm -hmm. that was like, oh, okay, so this is kind of like almost a new strain of vocal performance, vocal delivery that we can kind of look forward to in the genre, in the music. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it was around it was around Compton time when mm. right when he was basically starting to blow up and then Malibu came out and I was just like, gotcha. This is this is <laughs> oh, this, this is, is awesome. This is a thing that's yeah. happening. And then there was the the No Worries EP that came out after that. Right. Uh, his collaboration with East Coast producer Knowledge. Um, there was that suede song that I know everybody remembers, on which, you know, like somehow Pat gets away with bitch as a term of endearment. It's great. Um, I think that my first time encountering Pac was like when he was as Breezy Lovejoy. I remember specifically, actually, right. it was top 50 songs of 2012 
uh, list on the potholes in my blog website. Mm. And it was shout uh, out to old M- MP3 shout blogs. Shout out to old yeah. MP3 blogs, man. And it was uh, PYP, play your part. Play your part. Love. Shawty wanted to be a dancer. I whipped up the camera and said, fuck the small talk. Where he's kind of on a rooftop and there's one guy playing an acoustic guitar and then he just has like a tambourine. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was just like, okay, I need to know more about this. But then I forgot about it for three years. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you had to give it some sort of designation, what kind of music does Anderson Pack make? Because you refer to it as genre fluid R&B, but it's right. kind of like evolved a little bit. Sure. I, I mean, there's elements of a lot of music that I, I grew up listening to. There's definitely some funk elements. There's, you know, times when it sounds like, oh, I'm just listening to like a music soul child record. Yeah. Girl, I know this might seem strange, but let me know if I'm out of order or step into you. This way, see, I've been You know, he raps. He, it's kind of, also, he's an accomplished drummer. He's an accomplished, basically, just musician, all, yeah. all around musician, which is exactly why it's so hard to kind of define, right? Right, right. He was a, uh... I mean, you know, session drummer before he was uh, his own artist. I mean, like if you go to any live show, like I saw him at, I've seen him live twice, once at the Vinyl Me Please Grammy party and once uh, recently when they had a block party outside of Guitar Center on Sunset or whatever. But it was just like, <laughs> he's, he'll just get up and go. The The drum kit is in the center of the stage. He gets up and he just goes and rips a solo for like, right. And it's really one of the best musical things like I've seen. Yeah, and two years ago, I think he was at the one of the final FYF shows. And I mean, all my friends are, are huge fans and they were just like, he had the, the one of the best sets yeah, he of, has the, like, of the festival. That's the thing is that like anytime that you bring up Anderson Peck, it's just like, there. I don't know anybody that doesn't like his music or doesn't, you know, like, can't say can't recognize it as good or won't say that it's good if you just ask them off the top of their head right he has a really high approval rating which i wrote on the, oh yeah i forgot to mention i wrote a review <laughs> about this on the record.com great website you should oh, go yeah. check that out but what were you expecting from oxnard and what like what did you make of the singles because bubbling came out he'd been performing that at his live shows like for a while leading up before mm-hmm. there was the actual single treatment with the video and everything and there was tense and then who are you so what were you expecting by the time that the album dropped on friday so this is kind of probably why i don't get invited to talk about music a lot (laughs) (laughs) it's because I generally don't listen to singles. I, I kind of keep myself in a cocoon mm-hmm. uh, until an album comes out, and then I will emerge as this ugly moth <laughs> and, you know, do all of my listening then. Um, so actually, I had heard Tints maybe once, and I was like, oh, great. This, uh-huh. sounds, this sounds fun. It's summary. It's, you know. Uh, but I hadn't really heard. I didn't hear Bubbling. I didn't hear um, Who Are You. Uh, so I went in, got the first song on the, on the album, Kaja Bonet. Just like a beautiful voice. I'm like, yes, yes. And then second track is all about Roadhead. 
and I'm a like, four minute and eleven second song about Roadhead that ends with a very detailed skit about Roadhead. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's some like noises that probably shouldn't just should not have been on the album. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, it, that's the thing about this album, uh, especially in it being a, a sequel to Malibu, mm-hmm. is that on Malibu you kind of got almost a, a full autobiography in the first four songs. Mm-hmm. You got to know who he was, who his family was. You get to know about his dad, his mom, his sister, you know, how long he's gone about trying to get himself to this level. Right. And then, you know, in the first four songs of Oxnard, it's like one and a half songs about Roadhead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, like, it's 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 a different point in his career at right. this point. I mean, because this is the first album he's had to make on the other side of fame, really. Yeah. So it's not as autobiographical as the the album that immediately preceded it. And it's almost no, it is. It's intentionally kind of withholding. Mm-hmm. There are, I mean, there's songs like Who Are You and Tints, which are specifically about him trying to grasp, you know, how he can live as a public figure that without, people can recognize right, and without losing himself in the process. Right, right. Um right. so yeah, th- there's a lot of that, but it's just like it's such a stark departure from you know, maybe it was unfair of me to be like, oh, maybe we're just going to be getting, you know, Malibu too. Yeah. And I mean, it's totally it's, is, Exactly. There's not really, it's not, that's not like a reasonable expectation to have. And it's not right. like just because this album isn't as good as the mm-hmm. one that came before doesn't mean that it's bad in any sense. You right. know what I mean? But how long did it take you to invest in the album? Like, when did it start coming together for you? Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing. I think the reason why I struggled to really grasp it maybe the first listen through was because, as I said, those first four songs on Malibu, you kind of get to the emotional core right away. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Oxnard, you don't really get that, in, like almost the thesis of, of the of the album until the second half of the piece. Right. The second half of the album when, you know, you start hearing about Snoop Dogg talking about reminiscing about 1989 and, mm-hmm. and Pusha T talking about his brother. And him and Q-Tip kind of just reminiscing on, on the friends that they've lost. Music been is moving too fast for me. Wishing I still had Mac with me. Yes, Lord. How do you tell a nigga slow it down? When you're living just as fast as him. I couldn't understand when I seen a stretched out code on the That's kind of where it kind of clicked for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you think about the protest song? There's a protest song in this album. It's called Six Summers. It starts with the line, Trump's got a love child and I hope that bitch buck wild. Vac <laughs> goes on to uh, fantasize about how she is... Is basically everything that Trump would oppose, yeah. I, I assume. What did you what did you <laughs> what did you make of it? It's uh it's funny because it's a it's a protest song, right? It's yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's it's political. Um it's just a song that I felt was being kind of undercut by the first two minutes of it. Yeah. When I listened to it, I think I listened to it about five times in a row because I was like, what does this remind me of? And it reminded me of a song off of Chance's acid rap mixtape, uh called Pusher Man. I got that mm-hmm. I got that goddamn, 
I'm your pusher man. I'm your, I'm your pusher man. Pimp, slap it, toe, tag it. I'm just trying to fight the man. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is actually two songs, but it's it's in one, you know, seven-minute sitting where it's like a very exultant, very giddy kind of first half of the song that deals with, you know, the joys and pleasures of drug dealing. Uh-huh. But on, on, the, <laughs> on the other end uh, is a song called Paranoia, which is produced by No Such Thing. Very deep, woozy, kind of slows down the pace a little bit and explains why, you know, these drugs. Are yeah, there it explains for, you know? like the like the sadder flip side of right. the of the gleeful drug dealing part of the first side of the song you know like riding around with a gun on my hip with the sun in my eyes and my gun on my hip paranoia on my mind got my mind on the fritz but a lot of niggas dying so my nine with the shits but it's also like separated by a bunch like like dead air. Yeah. So it's a hidden song on the album. Right. And then I think they I think it was released later like on SoundCloud as its own thing. Mm-hmm. And thank God for that because it's an amazing song. Very very good song. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's kind of what I thought of. It's like there's this first half that is kind of just letting Pack be a guy who's daydreaming about you know. Yeah, I, I mean, like it's it's good that he calls for gun reform. It's yeah. just like I, but at the same time, it's just not really. It's, I guess, the importance or the emotional content of the song is like in the second half, and then the first half is kind of undercut by the fact that two songs before you were there was a detailed skit about Rodan. <laughs> so I don't know, but in any case. You said that like the single tense was like summery or whatever. Do you think this album would have benefited from being released in the summer? I think so. Um, at, at the same time, Malibu was also also released in January. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Ma- I mean, yeah, Malibu was released. I think the the second week of the of the year. Yeah. So the fact that it had the staying power that it did mm-hmm. was like very very encouraging. I, I yeah, I think there were a few songs on Oxnard that probably would have been huge if if they had come out maybe three months earlier is is pax music like state dependent like say like wayne should always be high eminem should always be aggrieved and like pax should always be on the come up or yeah that, i that's that's always the the struggle in in talking about artists who evolve right like yeah. you always kind of it's an like evolution is like a thing that has to happen you know, you are always going to be wistful for this period in this artist's career. And that, or and that, I think it, it's something that he mentioned in in the Malibu uh, album. Like there was a line about like he hates first impressions or something because he only has one. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, yeah, that first impression that I had of him as like a solo artist, it shaped everything. Mm-hmm. And now uh, he's gone in a different direction. I don't think it's necessarily bad. Like it's this is a very beautiful sounding album. It is a like it's <laughs> there's it is such a pretty sounding like it's first of all it's executive produced by Dr. Dre, but also I mean Omas Keith who worked with Frank Ocean is on here. Um, there's Ninth Wonder, Mad Lib. I mean like Pack himself, Q Tip, right. I mean, it's there's just any number of like it's it's a gorgeous sounding album. To return to your question, I I just think he's such a versatile artist, and he himself has admitted to this. Like he can jump on pretty much underground uh, artists with knowledge. He can jump on you know a Mac Miller joint. He can jump on pretty much any track and mm-hmm. feel at it's, home. Yeah, you know. Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily state dependent, but 
there were there were times when I was like pining for for some real like emotional heft uh, in that first half of the album. Yeah, yeah. I like those are the best pack moments. Is like the say him, you know, rasping at the piano on all in a day's work, or when he does the intro for for blank face for Schoolboy Q. Yeah, yeah, Love that. yeah. What what was the best song on this on this album? Would you say? Uh, or your favorite? Which one is the one that you're going to be playing the most? I love, I love anywhere. It was the first song where I was just like, oh, okay. So basically, this side of the album is allowing other artists to kind of take Pac's universe and mm-hmm. make it their own. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that, you know, the the beat on Anywhere Hits and Snoop's just like, oh, this this just reminds me of the old G-Funk days. Yeah. This is happening in Pac's universe, but right. also this is a Snoop song. Right. Same thing with, like, Brothers Keeper of Pusha T, mm-hmm. which is my favorite song on the album. Yeah. Am I my brother's keeper? Still laughing about the duo. Applaud is finding salvation, but I'm still rhyming about the you know. It's hard to leave your foundation. This spaceship. So they just kind of like make it their own, and I, I wonder. Hear me out. Uh, I only mean this in the way that I mean it. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. I love the way that you preface this. But hear me out. So Pac is a very horny artist who often, you know, who, whose best work often involves letting other artists become characters in his story. Uh-huh. Does that sound familiar? Uh, yeah, it does to me, but I'd like to just hear you say it out loud. You know, maybe he has a My Dark Twisted Fantasy <laughs> behind him in, in the next, next go-around. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what? Let me ask a question that is that pertains to your description of what Pack is or could be like what kind of stardom do you think he's going to eventually have that's a hard that's a hard question um because i mean like when the come down video came out it was kind of just like oh wow like maybe this is maybe this is a new james brown maybe mm-hmm. this is and then like you know if you heard all in a day's work or whatever then i mean he's maybe it's just like he should just do hooks or whatever right. like what is what do you think it's eventually going to be I mean, would it be a disappointment if he was just a guy who sang the best hooks on songs? I, I just think he's so gifted as a musician that he can probably create albums that are like what uh, Chance did with Surf, where it's just a collaboration amongst friends, amongst peers, amongst yeah. heroes and icons. When people show up and then leave and then it's like it's chill or whatever because they right. might pop up again three songs later. Yeah, because ultimately he's a, he's a band leader. You know, yeah. him, the Free Nationals, he's a band leader. And I, I can totally see him just being like a guy who has the, the melodic kind of backbone to all these songs, but he just brings this cast of characters in along for the ride. Yeah, you know, um, have you seen Pack Live? Actually haven't. Okay, so there's this thing that has happened both times that I've seen him where it's just kind of like there'll be a play break and then he goes around and like he might just be on the drums. He'll do a drum solo and then he'll kick it over to the keyboardist and then they do like an auto-tune freestyle thing on the piano Mm -hmm. and then 
then the guitarist gets some and then the singers and then whatever. And it's just kind of like, he's, he just knows how to throw a party. Right. It feels like. And I just want that. Like that's to your point about, you know, him making sort of a surf album, him being the center of it, but having all of these things going on around him, like creating that party vibe on a record is something I would like to hear. That sounds amazing. Yeah. One thing while we're talking about the, the kind of star that he can become and the, the type of, you know, artistic shift that has been going on from Malibu to Oxnard. It's uh, one line from um, the song The Season mm-hmm. really stuck out to me. Living under my greatness, but what don't kill me is motivation. This album is kind of showing what the pre- preliminary stages of him living among his greatness mm-hmm. instead of below it instead of underneath it, you know? Mm. And so, like, the next step when we're talking about him as, like, the next star is, like, how do you deal with that on a truly regular basis? And how does your, you know, greatness consume you or whatever? It's just, like, something to think about. Yeah. (laughs) You know, examining fame and multi-instrumentalism here on On Shuffle. (laughs) Uh, Danny, thank you very much for joining me to talk about the Anderson Pack album. Of course. It's a pleasure. Hello, listeners. Who among us has not found themselves down a rabbit hole on YouTube? There's so much music to discover there. You can spend hours exploring new songs and artists, and now there's an app to make it all so much easier. YouTube Music is a brand new music streaming service combining everything you expect from a streaming service with the magic of YouTube to bring it all to life. YouTube Music makes it easy to find the music you're looking for. Official albums, singles, music videos, live performances, even covers and remixes. Don't know the song's name? Search by the lyrics. It's that easy. The YouTube Music app gives you recommendations based on taste, location, and time of day. You can easily find the music trending around you, no matter where you are. And with YouTube Music Premium, it's even better. Get ad-free music that plays with the screen off or while other apps are open. Enjoy your music whenever you want it, even when you're offline. Download the new YouTube Music app today and start your free 30-day trial. Then enjoy music for just $9.99 a month. Terms and restrictions apply. YouTube Music, it's all here. It's the time of year when everyone is thinking about thoughtful gifts, so think about giving yourself or a loved one the gift of an Audible membership. Now is the best time to do it with a special offer. Access an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, and more. You can choose three titles every month. One audiobook and two Audible originals you can't hear anywhere else. Listen on any device, anytime, anywhere, at home, at the gym, on your commute, or just on the go. You'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges, rollover credits, and an audiobook library you keep forever, even if you cancel. If you're driving home for the holidays, then God bless you. But if you are, you should probably take some time to listen to a book like, I don't know, let's call it Cherry, a novel by Nico Walker, a book recommended to me by none other than Chris Ryan of The Watch. You should listen to that too. It's another podcast on theringer.com. Great website. Right now, for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. That's more than half off the regular price. Give yourself a gift of listening. And while you're at it, think about giving the gift of Audible to someone on your list. For more, go to audible.com slash shuffle or text shuffle to 500-500. 
That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash shuffle or text shuffle to 500-500. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music man's number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, ho. Fifteen years ago now, Jay-Z had to change tech. Due to individuals illegally distributing my album on peer-to-peer file-sharing sites, God rest them, I have no choice but to move the release date, he said in a statement. And so the Black Album came out two weeks ahead of schedule. Now all the teachers couldn't reach me and my mama couldn't beat me hard enough to match the pain of my pop not seeing me. So with that disdain in my membrane, got on my pimp game, the world, my defense came. You know the story. He retired and then he released five more albums, two this past year. But on his fake swan song's 15th anniversary, I talked to my boss, Sean Fennessy, about the spectacle of it all and whether or not he bit on maybe rap's biggest pump fake. Sean, how are you doing? I'm still biting. Still biting. <laughs> still biting on the pump fake. Still, still stuck in the, in the lane while he's going to the, going to the hole. <laughs> okay, so I got a question for you. Yeah, shoot. This is a safe space. Which of the songs did you download off of Kazaa first? Oh, no, no. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, honestly, I was at the height of um, Kanye West obsession at that time. Okay. So, hmm, what did I download first? I mean, Lucifer was a big, big, big song for me. Yeah. I loved Lucifer when this came out. But, you know, I, I think that this was at a time when I wasn't thinking in individuated tracks. Like, we think of the You're world now. You're still thinking about album I format. wanted the album. And this was this album, the Black Album, Mm-hmm. was positioned as an album. It was positioned as a, a, a grand statement. So as much as, you know, PSA peeled my wig back or, I, I, you know, my favorite song of all time is on this album and made by a person I'd never heard of before, my first song, the last song on the record. Huh. And as much time as I've spent with these songs, I still think of it like an album, even though it doesn't feel like one, although I think we'll get into that. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. But you already said that, you know, public service announcement peeled your way back. First song was your favorite song of all time. Uh, My favorite Jay song of all your time. Your favorite Jay song of all time. What was the first song of the Black Album that you learned all of the words to? Ooh, interesting one. Dirt Off Your Shoulders Pretty Easy. Yeah, there's actually, uh, I, as as we have discussed off air, I was 12 when this album came out. But, so therefore, I was right in the sweet spot of where I am like predisposed to liking any Timbaland beat. So when that song came out, I learned all the words to it. There's a photo somewhere on Facebook that was taken during a dorm room party where I was standing on a bed and rapping all the words. It looks like I'm on stage at Madison Square Garden. It's a great picture. Shout out Randy Jozowski, you took that picture. <laughs> if you're listening to this. <laughs> well, it's funny because, I mean, you're thinking of this, and I think there's a, a good reason why we think of this as individual songs. Unlike, mm-hmm. say, if we were talking about Reasonable Doubt, right? I think we'd be like, what a masterpiece statement that was. What, a, what an incredible narrative setting example of mythology that was. And this is a farewell, and so since it's a farewell, it's almost like a greatest hits full of songs you've never heard before. And that was the way that it was marketed. Right. Um, There's this very famous magazine advertisement. I don't know if you've ever seen this. um, That ran in, you know, in the Source and Double XL, Rolling Stone spin. Mm -hmm. It's a photo of a mixtape, you know, cover, like an actual cassette tape cover, Uh you know, that has the the slots to write down the names of the songs. And it has 12 slots. And then in, in the title, it says Rockefeller, Jay-Z, The Black Album. Every song title is quote-unquote untitled, but to the right in the other open space are 12 producer names. And the goal, the sort of the, the marketing campaign and the artistic strategy of this album was 12 songs, 
12 producers, all J. Now, I'll read you the names, and then maybe we can use that to kind of talk about this a little bit. Okay. It's very interesting. And, okay. you know, we'll share this on Twitter or whatever for sure. those who've never seen it. <laughs> Neptunes, Just Blaze, Dr. Dre, DJ Premier, Rick Rubin, Swizz Beats, Kanye West, Trackmasters, Eminem, DJ Quick, Ski, and Timbaland. Now, most of those names made it to the album, mm-hmm. but not all of them. There's this interesting thing that you can see about the life and management of Jay-Z's musical creative career here. People like Ski, Ski Beats, for those of you who don't know, who is a very important rap producer from the early 90s and who has a few songs on Reasonable Doubt and, you know, had a weird sort of resurgence in the 2010s with like Currency and Most Def and... Like the DD-172 guys. and Yes, exactly. He's, yeah. he's like largely responsible for a lot of the music on the Pilot Talk series. Mm. Um, but in the 90s, he was known as the guy who made all the beats for like original flavor. And in the, the sort of like wiggita wiggita, uh-huh. you know, rap time yeah. <laughs> um, when Jay was rapping really fast. And, but he's, he's also responsible for feeling it and Dead Presidents too, politics as usual. Like he is one of the core shaping the sound of the cool Jay-Z gangster um you know, iconography. Mm-hmm. And he's not on this record. Trackmaster's not on this record because they had been become slightly passe even when the marketing of this movie started. Dr. Dre, not on this record because this was the time when Dr. Dre was sort of not releasing anything. Mm-hmm. This was pre-detoxes coming, um, you know, that Mania. whole, that whole yeah. session. But Jay has always defined himself by his taste and he's always defined himself by his collaborators and while also staying above the fray. And this album in many ways, I think, is a kind of a statement of purpose or a statement of what his purpose was, but it's also really schizophrenic. And even though we do get two Neptunes records and we do get two, three Just Blaze records and we do get two Kanye West records, um, from the very beginning, there was something almost like disjointed about it. So I say all this to say, your question about like what, what was your the, hot one, you know, yeah, like it, it's a it's, good it's a good question. Yeah, be, well, yeah, like you were saying, it is it does play as like a farewell tour compressed into like a single body of work, and then also like a, an album of greatest hits because I mean, like Lucifer, like we were saying before, is amazing, but like doesn't feel like it belongs on the same album as December Fourth or uh, say take for instance. Uh, dirt off your shoulder doesn't feel like it should go with anywhere near threats. I don't. I don't know. It's just like there's. It's a strange collection of of music that is nonetheless good. Yeah, it is. It, it actually makes a lot more sense in hindsight because Jay Z, as he slowly evolves into what he had always wanted to be, which is Frank Sinatra, you know, an artist with a massive catalog that he can return to in live performance over time. Mm-hmm. So you, I mean, you can go see Jay now, and he has literally a hundred songs that I'm like, I really like that song. There's no other artist, I think, in rap who exists on that plane. In the same way that Sinatra could just pull out a record in 1975 that he had recorded 30 years earlier and be like, that's a beautiful song. I love that song. And I'll probably go see Jay 20 years from now because I really like the music. But I remember at the time, as much as I liked the Black Album, feeling like, um, what's the point of this other than you're just saying goodbye? Like, what are you even trying to say? Um, and the people who are critical of the record, and most people were not, but the people who are critical of it kind of described it as like um, like a biopic, mm. you know, like going to see like Walk the Line or maybe more recently Bohemian Rhapsody, where there's this effort to kind of say well, like, well, this song is about this aspect of me, and this song is about this aspect of me. And 
in some cases, I think that works. I think December 4th and my first song are uniquely autobiographical. Yeah. Um, and in others, it doesn't. I, I was just um, I was just watching a video of Just Blaze talking about the history of PSA, of public service announcement. And I don't, do you know the backstory of how that song got on the record? No, I don't. Okay. So there were thir- 14 songs on the album, and they had locked the album, and they were getting ready to put it on the world. And Jay had been playing the record for the press the way that he had for basically all of the 2010s when he was putting albums out. He would invite different members of the press to come and sit with him, and he would play the songs. He would talk about them and explain them. I was lucky to be a part of a couple of those conversations. Among the more fun things I've done professionally is just sit in a room with Jay playing you a record for the first time and just letting him talk about it. Yeah. So he was doing that thing. So the album was done. He was ready to show it to the world. It probably was going to come out maybe a month later, maybe two months later, because this is back when there was lead times on things that were released. <laughs> this is back before surprise drops and and everything else. <laughs> yeah, before our lives were utterly disrupted in, in the content minds. Um, <laughs> and so he's playing the record for people and just goes into the studio and somebody plays him the sample that the doom, 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 yeah. you know, that that very overwhelming, intense, dramatic sample. And he's like, oh shit, I have to do something with this. Mm-hmm. And so in his, he, he talks in the, in the story and, you know, some who knows how apocryphal this is, but in his headphones, he makes the beat and he makes it in 10 minutes as all great producers do. They always make their best yeah, beats in 10 in minutes. In 10 minutes. Yes. I was, I was in the car on the way to whatever. Exactly. I was, I was getting a haircut and, and, you know, like blowing this joint down or whatever. And, <laughs> and then I made genius. <laughs> and, you know, frankly, just is a genius. And so it's possible that that is how this song came to be. So he plays it and then. Jay has ended one session with the press and he's getting ready to do, do another one. And so he comes by Baseline Studios where they recorded a lot of this album and just plays him the, the beat. And Jay is immediately inspired and he writes four bars and he, or he essentially records four bars because as we know, Jay doesn't write any lyrics down. Right. Then he leaves and he does another session. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back, records another four bars. Leaves, comes back, another four bars. Does this throughout the day. At the end of the day, he's locked the song. He's like, I want to put this on the record. Just's like, okay, great. Let's put it on the record. He's like, take off, take off looking at my S dots. Let's not put that on. Looking at my S dots is a song that eventually appeared on a mixtape for the promotion of his sneaker, sneaker with Reebok. Which was like, wow, those sneakers were so ugly. <laughs> yes, they were. Fortunately, this is a podcast about music. Um, so essentially, PSA, which is pro- probably my favorite song right. on the record, uh, aside from my first song almost didn't make it it's that kind of like great last minute buzzer beater quality to it but it also like isn't really about anything and doesn't tell the story of jay's life and in the sort of like slam bang quality of of how it came to be indicates that even though this was this grand design that had this advertising campaign that started years earlier and jay was always thinking about you know how he would position himself in the world and comparing himself to michael jordan and stepping down at the ripe old age of 34 Mm -hmm. He was still like just making a rap record the way that you would, the way yeah. that you're in the studio and you're inspired and you're collaborating and you're like, oh, God, we got to give people this song. Yeah. I mean, like it's a, it's a process where, I mean, like control is important while understanding that control is like not a possible thing. Like, so you have to make room for inspiration. It's sort of like making a website every day. <laughs> <laughs> TheRinger.com, great website. So, okay. 15 years later, does it still feel to you like it's that? same sort of farewell tour compressed into a single album. Like, as someone with both a pair of uh, Cement Jordan 3s and a copy of Decoded on your bookshelf, yes, and you're the same age now as he was then or thereabouts, what if you retired right now today? What if Jay had stayed retired 
And what if you retired like right now today? Okay, if he had stayed retired, I, so much would be different. It would be a ve- it would be very strange. Not because necessarily the music that has come bef- come since then mm-hmm. is so significant. Let it, lest we forget that the first J record that came out was Kingdom Come. No, after it, after after the Black Album, it's Unfinished Business. Oh, with the R- second R Kelly record, uh. which is released less than a year later. So I completely forgot about that. So just in the telling of the tale of Jay-Z's musical career, like he was just never retired. That never actually happened. And Kingdom Come is only a couple of years later. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't I think if he had actually retired, it, the the just the loss of his presence as an artist would have been felt. It would have been significant, even though Unfinished Business is not good. And Kingdom Come is highly flawed, even though I think in hindsight there are a couple of songs I really like. I think if he had retired today, it would be interesting because 444 feels like, in many ways, a more fitting farewell than the Black Album. Mm -hmm. 444 is that thing that I think that we had been trying to graft onto him, this sort of feeling of like this mature person. Yes, exactly. Reflecting on the game and also his place in the world. And also, you know, he he really was much more sophisticated in the way that he was talking about status, class, privilege, race, like the 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 core themes of that record. Most are re- are really sophisticated deep. and like this kind of old-timey matter-of-factness too. Yes, and not as obsessed with craft, just sort mm-hmm. of like his rap style on that album is a little bit different. It's like, it, it is meticulous, but it's loose. I remember feeling like there's, like if you're watching the story of OJ music video and like he's lying on the couch in the therapist's office, it feels like, he's doing that for the entire album. I completely agree with you. So yeah. I, I think it would be actually quite interesting and credible if he were to retire today. You'd say like, well, what else do I have to say? Back then, everyone knew. I, at the time in 2003, Torre interviewed him in the New York Times and he challenged him on this. And he was like, are you really going to retire? Because this just seems like a publicity stunt. And Jay was defensive. And he said, you know, I, if I wanted to draw attention to myself, I don't have to do something like this. Which, you know... Sure. Jay is very savvy and knows that comeback stories are the most powerful narratives we have in American culture. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he came back even if he was sort of mocked offensive. I don't know. How often do you find yourself listening to this relative to other Jay-Z albums? Well, I mean, like, I never listen to it because it's not on Spotify or available (laughs) on Apple Music or anywhere. I I think it is on Apple Music. Okay. No. Oh, yeah. It is. It is. It is on Apple Music. It wasn't, and then now it is again. Yeah. 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 That's isn't isn't that a crazy thing? I mean, it's so funny to do a kind of anniversary conversation about a record that many people can't listen to, especially because the mode of listening to the hard copy of something is really vanishing in a serious way. Yeah. So the Black Album was so momentous and inspired so much conversation, and also just sort of inspired so much analysis. But for it to not be on Spotify, it feels, it's almost like erasure. You know, it's like they've taken something out of, or he's, I mean, he has cho- chosen to take, yeah. take something out of the culture by not giving it to the whatever hundred million people that subscribe to that service. <sighs> I don't know, man. Like, it's just, it's just I, you have to go figure out how to download title every time there's a new Jay or Beyonce thing. And I mean, like, I'm not going to turn this into a thing where I'm going to bitch about the fact that you have to do that. But also, it's, it's, it is weird. It's weird that you are... This album that is such an important cultural artifact is not readily available to everybody without, you know, like a few extra steps of whatever you want to call it. I agree. I mean, it does actually, though, oddly recall 
what you were describing right at the top of the show, which is sort of like the hunt to get the thing on the internet back then. Mm-hmm. Because in 03, there were file sharing services, but they were far from reliable. They were you a surefire were, way to get screwed with a virus, virus or the wrong record or... Get an email from your ISP. There's also just like... I. I remember being thankful for like sites like Rap Godfathers coming around because then it was just like, all right, well, at least I can know that I can read the comments underneath and see that everybody has downloaded and unzipped this, but hey, they haven't gotten the virus Yes, yet. <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, slowly but surely, the community of people stealing music on the internet <laughs> built up. And, you know, we've, we, in a lot of ways, people are still stealing music and they're always going to steal artistic property, I guess. But yeah. Um, we've really moved past that. I mean, we're lamenting the inability for us to pay to hear the Black Album yeah, because that's exactly. what Spotify that's is. That's just what it is now. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's fascinating. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I don't know how this record will live on because it's a like you said at the top of the show. It's a it's a head fake. It's a it's a it's a it's a false front. Yeah. But okay. So here's a a, a less a less naughty question. Which of these songs has aged worst for you? Ooh, that's a very good question. I was not a fan of Change Clothes the day it was released. Really? And I'm so glad that you brought Change Clothes up because I've, I've got a follow-up question after this. But okay. continue. Well, I it, I just don't think that that song is good. And I don't think that... It, the Neptunes and Jay-Z were a very in, uh, intoxicating combination mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And that felt at the time like a shark jump to me. Where I was like, oh... Shit, maybe it's good that Jay's going. <laughs> like, I don't want any more commercially viable reaches for you know the nosebleeds. Like that's what the, that song is. It's like let's dance and it's a, let's dance on the club song. And I just Jay wasn't really doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. And Dirt Off Your Shoulder felt like a much more modernized version of how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't like it. So now when I listen to it, I'm like, ugh. Yeah, I I. I wasn't a fan of it the first time that I heard it. It's grown on me just because I like most Neptune's things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I do too. It's, yeah, it's I, but also I distinctly remember how everybody was wearing like the oversized fitteds, like tucked into like really just extremely not tailored pants. <laughs> immediately after it happened, like everybody's making very risky sartorial choices afterwards. It's true, myself included. Did you fall victim to the oversized button down? Um, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say my style has changed a lot over the years. Uh, yeah. I mean, like you know, everybody's just trying to figure it out. We're all growing up. <laughs> Um, with the Neptunes thing, you're talking about making those at Dancing in the Club Records. There's like the footage of Pharrell calling Jay-Z from the studio to tell him about how fire and life-changing Allure was going to be. I don't know if you ever read Big Ghost Face on the internet. Of course. Yeah, yes. but I mean, like, it was just kind of like the image of like Timbaland snapping his neck and spilling his cranberry juice on the boards for like dirt off your shoulder or whatever. Which one of these songs on this album like floored you the first time that you heard it? Hmm, that's a really good question. I mean, so these things changed. Probably Lucifer, like I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. It's funny, though, how, you know, Fade to Black, obviously, was the this documentary that was released, for those who haven't seen it, about Jay's final, sort of his farewell concert. Mm-hmm. And stitched in between that concert was clips of the making of this record. Mm-hmm. So there are moments where we see him and Rick Rubin in the studio making 99 Problems. We see, and famously, Ad-Rock, who, like, I've always loved, is there, like, watching 
just listening to the beat for the first time and just being like, oh, yes, <laughs> God. And, and honestly, the re- 99 Problems is a Beastie Boys beat. It's Jay crushing a Beastie Boys or a Run DMC record from 1984. That's yeah. what's so good about that like song. Like a huge, like really just bombastic rock sample. Major guitar yeah. lick. Um, and that and that is fun. And also like a story about police brutality inside yeah. of a story like that. It's a really smart, modern reinvention of something that is important to rap history. Um, and it, similarly in that movie, that's kind of where we, that's really where the Kanye West mythology starts uh-huh. is seeing him in the polo making the beats with the, the kind of like torture genius. Like trucker hat, like yes. broke off or whatever. Yes. And yeah. he's like, he is the, he is the underdog in that movie in a lot of ways, but he's, he's overselling everything. Mm-hmm. Like when Pharrell ha- plays a beat for Jay, and you, you see him getting excited. He has reason to get excited. Yeah, Nick's like, face I made... is, is, I'm in the studio right now. Nick's face is scrunched <laughs> up right now. But it's like, that's the guy who made Super Thug, you know? Yeah. He, he, he's, he has, he's justified in saying that. Um, there are other songs in this album that don't appear in that film. You know, I, like, Justify My Thug, there's no sequence in that movie where we watch Quick make that beat. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered about those kind. Of, we don't see threat being made. By Ninth Wonder, who, for those of you who don't know, Ninth Wonder was once a highly, a hotly tipped producer um, and a member of the group Little Brother. And people really thought Ninth Wonder was going to be in the class of DJ Premier Kanye West. Maybe not the Neptunes from a commercial point of view, but mm-hmm. highly, a deep, deeply important producer. But there, there are all these album, there are all these songs on this album that don't ultimately appear. Like we don't see the Buchanans making "What More Can I Say." Right. I don't even know what the Buchanans look like. So there is this interesting uh, essentially dissonance between the really famous people who made the album and the really unfamous people who made the album which mm-hmm. is a nice metaphor for how a lot of a lot of music making works mm-hmm. yeah i mean like yeah you wrote for for grand land in 2013 about how jay and like kanye siphon off of young town and also pick and choose their spots about who to elevate and who to whatever i mean like which is just part of the process of making music making art yeah, you know making art making I, a movie even writing a book there's a like we're all kind of working together but there's usually a star mm-hmm. and yeah. <laughs> when i wrote that it was not to be accusatory of what they were doing it was more just an observation of how that strategy had yeah. evolved over time and you can see a lot of it in real time there's not a lot of movies especially not a lot of well-made movies that feature the process of recording a song quite like this. Right. Um, so I, I always found that very revealing. Final question. Shoot. And this is the 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 most annoying and obligatory one that we were going to have in this podcast, which is where does the Black Album rank? Oh, gosh. Well, let's, let's have a look at the discography. I, I think it has to be fifth. If we do some formulation of it, I'm not going to do my top five right now. That's, yeah, a, that, that's, a, that's, that's a better podcast someday. Yeah. Um, but I think Reasonable Doubt the Blueprint, Volume 3, are all automatically ahead of it. I think Volume 2 is probably ahead of it, too. Even though Volume 2 is probably has the most in common with this album because it is the most sort of like schizophrenic but similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a soft spot for American Gangster, which is a little, that's kind of like my hot take on the Jay career because mm-hmm. it's him playing a character instead of playing himself for the first time. I love that album. It's a really good record. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Where to, what about you? Where would you say it ranks? The thing is, is that I've, I've, oh, I've forgotten Watch the Throne too, which has, is aging weirdly now. But Watch the Throne is amazing. Yeah, I've, 
it's difficult to like have a reliable and consistent ranking when like you encounter Jay as late as I did. Like, which is just that, like, all I can really say is that I, it's Black Album is near the top just because it's what I think of, aside from Reasonable Doubt, because also shout out to my sister, like, Dead Presidents is my favorite ever Jay-Z song. So, I mean, like, I would say that it's probably, like, I would also probably say it's top five, but I'm not sure exactly where in the top five. Yeah, he's like all great artists, I think, where when you discover him, is the thing that you have discovered is usually the thing that will alight you to him the most. You know, like yeah. I was very, I was aware of Jay-Z during Reasonable Doubt, but I was probably about the same age as you were when the Black Album came along, when that record came along. And it was a, even harder to get music like that um, for me at that time. Mm-hmm. So it's more like volume one and seeing the Sunshine video <laughs> at, that is when he became sort of like a famous person to me. Uh-huh. And so I'm a little bit more open-minded about Volume 1, even though Volume 1 is considered like a pretty big failure. Yeah. Um, you know, also, these things evolve over time. This is very true. Sean, thank you so much for coming to talk to me about Jay-Z. Michael, I, my pleasure. I always enjoy your company. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I'm going to go somewhere warm where no mosquitoes at. <laughs> Not even give me a cappuccino. Fuck it. That's all we got for y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to Sean Fennessy and Danny Chow for joining me. Shout out my producer, Bobby Wagner. Check out our playlist that we will be updating every week with the songs we're listening to. A link to that is in the description. Also, please rate and subscribe if you like the show. We'd really appreciate it. Peace. See you next week. Have you always wanted to learn to play a musical instrument but not known where to start? Let the Musician app be your personal music tutor. It's the best way to learn, practice, and master an instrument. It listens to you play and gives feedback on your accuracy and timing. Become the musician you always wanted to be. Download Musician for free in your app store today.